1: A lot of our problems that we have in conflict with others is because we try to resolve it through manipulation and intimidation instead of praying. But there's also a second part to that. Look at the verse. It goes on to say this. It says, You ask and you still don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Maybe you don't get it is because the Lord is saying you're asking because it's something that's going to make you feel good. It's all about you, that you become the center of this thing here. And God says, wait a minute, I want to remind you again, it's all about me, meaning God, not about you. And so now it's not only praying, it means that you have to pray with the right motive. So those are the basic reasons. So really, if we look at this, the reason we have these problems is because we look more to other people than to look to God. We look more to other people to help us our mate, to take care of the problems, or it's our mate's fault why we have the problems, instead of just going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I need you to help me right now. Would you get me through this at this particular time? So, I think that's really where the issue is. If you didn't get anything that I said from this message today, if you could only get this, the real conflict that we have, that we're now involved and in an argument with others, is more indicative of a conflict that we have with God than we do with that other person. Now that's what you want to take to the bank. So when you're having this issue, the first issue you want to do is say, Lord, are you and I at opposite ends on this? Am I doing it your way? Is this about you? Am I having a conflict with you? Am I um, needing that thing to fulfill a need in my life that I neglected to go to you to meet? Do I have to feel important so it's more about pride rather than making you, but instead it's you at the center of the attention? So see if some of this is revolving around a lack of intimacy. So when I start arguing, I have to remind myself, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. Is it Carol? No. Is it me? Yeah, but is it really me and God? That's really where the root is. And if you will, you can look at this passage because it kind of speaks to that whole thing again about our issue with it. Look at verses 4 through 6 and follow along carefully. It says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? When it talks about friendship of the world, there's a lot more behind it than just being a friend of someone that's in the world, like a neighbor who's unsaved. When you look at friendship of the world, it would be the world value system. We'll call it a secular worldview worldview. If I'm a friend, in other words, I want to embrace that worldview. Obviously, people are connected to value systems and worlds and thinking and all of that. They spout it off. They teach it. They live it. They try to force it on others. If I want to embrace that, I'm a friend of that. I'm friendly to that. I'm open to that. Then I'm going to be an enemy with God. That system, that belief system is in the people that will now sell it to us in some way. So when you think friendship of the world is enemy of God, some of you stop right there and you say, yep, that's right, i got to withdraw, not be around any lost people, cocoon up, monk up, and i am got to be alone and I'll be okay. That's not really what it's saying. What it is saying is watch out for the value system. So again, if I'm a friend of the world system, the world belief system, the value system, no matter whom it might come through, that's when I'm an enemy of God. And so now, most of what I desire is going to be paraded in front of me through a secular worldview lens. So I have to be very careful. My conflict is going to be with him when I embrace that. Whoever, therefore wants to be a friend of the world, makes himself an enemy of God. It's not that God wants to be your enemy. It's not that God is making you his enemy. It's when you do this, you made God that enemy. He's not that way. His whole job is to now not be an enemy to you. His job is to reconcile you to him through Christ on the cross. That's the beauty of it all. So it's really God says, I'm gracing you, I'm mercying you. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. We go all the way back to the pride thing, don't we? But he gives grace to the humble. So, those are the things that will cause arguments. So, if that's what causes arguments, bottom line, pride, relationship out of whack with God, then what then would be the cures to these arguments in the same passage of Scripture? So, let's look at it. I'm going to put it in one word. It's the word humility. Let's look at the verse. I'm going to look at verse 6. And then I'm going to drop you down to verse 10. It says, But he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Last verse. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So it needs to be answered this question. What is grace? Well, I know that I'm saved by grace, but I'm also kept saved by his grace. I am taught by his grace. I am disciplined by His grace because at the epicenter of my relationship with Him is grace. So grace is the power to do the things that I ought to do found in Scripture. In this passage it says that if I have pride, that that means I lack humility. And so if I have pride and I lack humility, what does He do with the prideful people? He will bring them down. What does He do with the humble people? He lifts them up. Jesus said, if any man serves me, him will my Father honor. So God will lift up. But now between the pride and the lifting up over here, the bringing down and the lifting up, is the grace. Now grace comes when we own our pride, give it up to God, then He cleanses us, then the grace comes, and now we have the power to do what we ought to do. You need to not only mark this down, but memorize this. Ooh, memorize, ooh, that's hard. You wanna get help. You gotta go to the store and get the medicine, but you gotta open up the lid, and you gotta put it in your mouth, god says i'm going to give you the pill but you've got to swallow it now the difference between taking a pill and doing it god's way is this when you take a pill you swallow it and your body has what they call involuntary muscles that takes the pill drops it down into your stomach it dissolves and then it kind of goes through your system with a verse it's a little different you have to think about that verse you have to meditate on that verse So what your body will do for you on its own, you have to choose to do the memorization, the meditation, and to own this for yourself. Now, what is very similar to the same thing when you take a pill, it begins to take on a life of its own within you. When you begin to meditate on the verse, I can't explain how, I can just tell you that his word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword that can divide in half your thoughts and intents of the heart, just where we're going. It will then take on a life of its own, but now you've got to own it memorize it and meditate on it and that's what he's saying in this part here how important it is for us to do this and I'm telling you pride is a dangerous thing our kids do it sometimes and we think it's cute you know how our kids do it you teach your kids how to throw a ball or how to draw something or how to do some music or something the first thing is watch me daddy watch me daddy people come over watch me everybody watch me everybody and pretty soon the family shuts it all down for the kids and I don't mean you shouldn't honor kids especially for their work and hard work and practice and all of that but sometimes we do that so much that now when the child grows up as a teenager, it's, watch me, everybody, look at my nice clothes. Watch me, everybody, I got the latest technology. Watch me, everybody, I'm going to be able to do this. Watch me, everybody, I got this new car. Watch me, everybody, I'm going to this school. Watch me, everybody, I got this boyfriend or girlfriend. And pretty soon our whole world is, watch me, watch me, watch me. And if we don't get it, what do we have? Argument, argument, argument. To get it or to defend and explain what we don't. And It's not our fault in here. It is our fault in the sense that we haven't done it right. So what do we do? Four things. First of all, give it to the Lord. Give it to God. It says, therefore, submit to the Lord. Whatever you're going through right now in this argument, besides going to Him and praying with the right motives, you've got to leave it with the Lord. Give it to the Lord. You submit to Him. Let Him be the master and owner of your life. He's the CEO. He's the one who's got the checkbook. He's the one that's got the power to make things happen when you don't. All right, so let him have control. Look at verse 15 of chapter 3 of Colossians. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in you. I'm going to tell you that uh, Carol and I have a pretty good marriage now, I think. We often joke we've been married 40 years. We've been happily married 37 years. Early part of our relationship, we had a lot more arguments. It wasn't until we grew in the Lord and we decided to say, we've got to go back to the Bible. This book right here is the best marriage book. This is the antidote to selfishness. This book right here will give us the joy of a fulfilled and intimate relationship that God wants us to have. And this is the answer. I will tell you, apart from that, is an empty life. And some of you right now, you're struggling with that. And here's what you'll tell me if you're in my office. You're going to say, I really love my husband. But why do we argue? I really love my kids. Why are we always fighting tooth and nail? I really love it's all this. And, and this is the antidote. Chuck Swindoll says he'd much rather counsel his people from the pulpit than from a chair in his office. If people would just be faithful at coming to church and when they miss, get the message. He says more biblical counseling can be done just by sitting and hearing the word of God given to them. So give it all to the Lord, how important that is. Let's go to number two, get wise to Satan. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I want you to see how rich this is. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The first verse says, yield to the Lord, submit to the Lord. That is kind of like I'm resting in the Lord. I'm giving it all to the Lord. Now what you're doing, you're resisting Satan, so you're getting defensive. You realize that the the enemy in that argument is not really your mate, your parents, your kids, your brothers and sisters, the people at work. The real enemy is Satan, and Satan is going to try to do everything he can to bring you down so you won't have that intimacy with the Lord because it's all about Satan now and not about you and the Lord. But Satan is such a dirty bird, he knows that he can... Suck you into that argument by putting the, quote, right kind of arguers around you and lighting them up. And so that's where you have to say, I'm going to resist Satan. How do you do that again? When Jesus was tempted by Satan himself three times, and by the way, I have to tell you, he had fasted. So physically, Jesus was without food as a human. I know he's God, but the human part of him hadn't eaten, hadn't drunken anything. Well, Jesus is kind of going through a physical downtime, and that's when Satan comes along as a model for us, that when we have a physical downtime, we still do the same thing. Our power is not in our strength of health and sleeping and eating right, although that is good to do. It is going to be found in quoting scripture back to Satan. That's the cure. So let's look here at the verse. It says here, Satan, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, but we are not ignorant of his devices. So I'm giving you his device now, so you're not ignorant of it. So he doesn't get an advantage of you. Now, I've given you that, but I want to show you something. Go back to the verse. Verse 7, the last part, it says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Would you mark the words, will flee? Not may flee, try to flee, sometimes flee. This is the way you cast out demons in your life. Submit to the Lord, resist the devil, and he'll flee. So you don't have to pray anybody in there. You don't have to hit anybody. You don't have to do any special mumbo-jumbo. Satan will flee automatically. That is how he operates when you draw near to the Lord, submit to him, And then you resist him by Scripture. Quote Scripture back to him. Number three, grow closer to the Lord. Here it says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Just like it says Satan will flee to you in verse 7. Here it says God will draw near to you in verse 8. It's like you got Satan and you have God. And God wants you. Satan wants you. And you have the choice who gets you. You know what I mean by that? And so all of a sudden you can say, all right, I'm going to draw nigh to the Lord. I'm going to submit to him. I'm going to resist Satan by quoting Scripture, and what happens? Boom! Satan's gone, and I'm close to the Lord. And it goes all the way back to our intimacy with the Lord fuels our outreach for the Lord, and it comes by drawing close to the Lord. How do you draw close to the Lord? Basically, it means getting into the Word. When you see sin in your life, you confess that sin, you deal with it right then. You get involved in church. You don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together like the manner of some is. You really think twice and carefully when you have a time not to be there to make sure, is this really of God or not? Is this something that's good but not great? I'm not here to judge you and I'm not thinking anything evil of anybody. I'm just saying for you to really count the cost. How about your time in prayer? Do you have concentrated time? Do you have a midweek time with God? Sometimes you need that midweek time, that hump time in the middle of the week to get going. For I don't know. But it's a time where you and the Lord, internally and externally, are drawn close to him. Well, let's go to number four now. <clears throat> Keep your thoughts on him. That's how you draw close. Number four, be willing to ask forgiveness. In verse eight and nine, it says, Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. I'll deal with the last part in a moment. But you see where it says, Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts? Circle the word hands and write in your margin actions. And see we the word heart? Deal with the word heart there. I don't want to overly reduce it to that, but at the same time, it's a word picture for you. So it says here, cleanse your hands, your actions. What have you done recently that have fed an argument? Are you known as always being prickly? Are you the sandpaper person in the family? Are you the eggshells that other people have to walk around on? Boy, it got quiet in here, you know? Are there actions that you do? Are they as simple as you look like you've been winged on a dill pickle. Is it that you have, you're curmudgeon all the time? You always got to look at the cuff half empty. It's always raining out. It's never really good. And, you, 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 you know? and maybe that's just everybody around you. With you. there's an argument. What actions are you doing? If you poke a cat in the eye, do you think it's going to climb up in your lap and curl up and sleep? Of course it's not going to do that. I don't know where you are, but what words, what actions... What tone, what timing are you doing that's inciting the other person or persons to riot? That's the actions, the hands part. Cleanse yourself of that junk. I can't, that's just the way I am. No, that's the way you used to be. You can't be the way you used to be because you're not the same person you used to be now that you trusted Christ. Then your heart. A lot of your hand problem is coming from the heart. So in your heart, do you have bitterness? Maybe you argue with people because they remind you too much of someone else you've had in your past, your parents, your childhood. Something went on there, and it's a projection thing, they call it. And you haven't dealt with the demons in your past. I I don't know. Again, I I know this, though, that if you haven't resolved all your past conflicts, or at least done your part to resolve them, you're carrying baggage into this. People who join our church, there's a letter in our new members packet that they have to make sure that they have cleaned up their act in their past church, and we don't want them a member here. Now, it doesn't mean that they had to leave and everybody loves them. It does mean, though, that they have at least taken responsibility for any of their part, even if they agree to disagree. So they come in here without bringing more baggage. That's why we don't have the conflicts in this church. That's why people say, I love coming here. love loving the lanai. It's because we deal with our past. And it's painful. It's time-consuming. But at the other end of this thing, it's healthy. And it's healing. If we do it right. So maybe it's a heart issue with you. I don't know. But I can tell you the cure to that. First of all, take ownership of it. The other person has 95% of the problems. You have five. Forget about the 95%. You give them unto the Lord for the cleaning up of their flesh. But now for you, you take that 5%. And you remember, don't blame it on your job. Don't blame it on your chemistry. Don't blame it on your history. Don't blame it on the economy. Don't blame it on blah, 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 blah. You just say, Lord, I did this to you, and I am sorry. And I know on this side you're saying, yeah, I've done that so many times. I'm never going to... You know what? Everybody gets a do-over, and from today, if your wife comes to you, husbands, and they apologize, do not throw up the past. You accept it. And you wives, if your husbands come to you and say, "I I heard, I heard God today. I I want a do-over," is it likely they'll do it in the past? Yep, but maybe less often. They're on that road. They're going to fall off the skateboard but they're going to get back on again. They're going to fall off the wave, but they're going to go surfing again. Give them a chance. So you take ownership of it. What happens if they don't forgive me for all I've done in the past? That's their problem. You don't have a problem now because you did what God wanted you to do. You laid your gift at the altar. You went to them. You tried to straighten it out. That's it. Now don't blame them. Now don't get on your pity pot and tell all your neighbors and your friends, they didn't forgive me. They're just like, they, always were. they don't really care. They're just... Just leave it with God and love Him. And then you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, I want to be clean. I want to be close and pure with you. And my problem with them was a problem with you. And I bring that to you now. And so there's two parts of, as I close. Part number one. If you want to resolve issues with people, you need to resolve your issue with God. And He says that I love you. I'll forgive you of all sin. And my son will reconcile us together if you will place your faith in Jesus Christ. And so then he brings us up close in what we call positional truth. And if you have never done that, I pray you do. I pray you can say, Lord, I am a sinner. And because by nature I'm a sinner, I act sinfully. I say things. And I know that I'm separated from you when I do this because sin separates us. And when I die in this state, I'll spend eternity separated from you in a real horrible place called hell. And Lord, I know that I've got to be perfect to go to heaven because the only perfection is there. And I can't be perfect, so my works aren't going to get me there. So I come to you just as I am a sinner in need of your forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration. And so, Lord, it's all on you now because you're the one who said, if I would cast myself on you, I'm trusting in you and you alone, you'd save me. Now, it's not so much a prayer, but it is a part where we are now doing business with God. He says, you know what? I'll forgive you. I will give you my spirit for power. I'll give you a better understanding of scripture, a greater sensitivity to the real needs of others, and a passion to do right, no matter the cost. And I'll give you eternal life. But you've got to trust me. For God so loved you that he gave his son, that if you believe in him, you wouldn't perish, but you'd have everlasting life. That's your first prayer to get this thing resolved. The rest of you who knows Christ as Savior, your second is simply to say this, Lord, I look over my life and I do see that I've had conflicting desires, right or wrong. I've sometimes tried to do your fighting for you, Lord, and and I got beat up for it. And so, Lord, I'm not going to fight for you. I will pray. I will seek God. I will love my enemy. I will pray for my enemy. I will do good for my enemy. I will speak well to and about my enemy. But Lord, I look at myself and I wanted to have things that you didn't want me to have, maybe then or ever. You wanted me to feel things from others that I should have only really felt from you. You wanted me to be things that I wanted to be that weren't what you wanted me to be. And I want to be what you wanted me to be. And I want to be a fully devoted follower of you. I want to be Christ like, I want to be God like. And so, Lord, I confess this to you. I am humbling myself before you. And by your grace, I'm going to give it all up for you. I'm going to resist Satan by knowing the word and quoting it back. I'm going to draw close to you, Lord. I'm going to do all I can. And I will go back and clean up the milk that I spilt in the lives of my kids, my parents, my mates, my friends. I'll do my part. And then, Lord, I'm going to walk with my head held high because of your grace and mercy. Would you pray with me with every head bowed and every eye closed? This is a, a sermon for every one of us, including the one who had the pulpit for the last 45 minutes or so. It's for all of us. The people to whom this was written were people that were scattered as Jews into a community of people that hated the Jews and hated Christian Jews. And would easily get sucked into arguments, I'm sure, on their own because they're at all different levels of Christian growth and understanding of relationships and marriage and business and family and everywhere. Plus the community relationships of politics, etc. And yet the Lord, through James, spoke to them and says, Stop it. Stop it. This is how you do it. This is why, the reason, and here's the remedy. Now the only thing is, is that these people had to own up to it and step into this. And I pray that that's where you are now. So number one, if you haven't yet, would you call upon the Lord to be your Savior? You don't have to ask him to be your Savior. He wants to be your Savior more than you want him to be your Savior. But it is where you're coming to him and you're saying, Lord, I recognize you as the Savior, only Savior, and Lord. And I am now trusting you as my Savior. And that right now, Lord, you'd forgive me and we don't have conflicts because you've cast my sin in conflicts as far as east is from the west. But at the same time, Lord, I want to get rid of this bitterness and greed and issues inside of me that causes me not to love others and argue about the littlest things at times and fight for stuff and my rights and all that. Lord, I want you to help me now. I want to do it for me. I want to do it because my kids need to see another mother, another father. My mate needs to see it. Lord, I'm not asking you to change my wife I'm asking you to change my wife's husband, me. Help me. So first, how many here that would you would like for me to pray for you because you are fully trusting Christ alone to be your Savior? And you'd like for me to pray for you because you now know you're reconciled to Almighty God. You are not in Satan's family. You are in God's family. And you want me to pray for you. But now for the rest of you, is there anyone that in a state of humility, say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I know I argue too much with my daughter, my son, my wife, my husband, my mom, my dad, my fellow workers, others. I know that I'm just a, an, an argument looking for a place to happen. And I don't want to be like that. And Pastor, I, I learned some principles from the Word today. And I'm going to ask you to pray that those principles will live inside of me and that God would change me from the inside out. Pastor, would you pray for me? But if you're still wrestling with him on this thing, if you still got some deep-seated issues and you need to talk to someone, if you're a woman, you can talk to my sweet wife. If you're a guy, you want to talk to me, family, whatever. We're here to help you. We've given our life. This is who we want to be known for. People telling people about Jesus. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And this was so convicting today because I tend to be a fighter and not a lover at times. And I don't want to do that. And so, Lord, help all of us. We're all on this journey, but praise God there's hope. Praise God that through humility there is grace, and grace again, and more grace. And so, Lord, help our church to be known as a church of genuine aloha, and that we will choose our battles and not see every hill a hill to die on, and that when we do, we do it graciously and kindly and patiently, that we talk to you, yielded to you, because we want your glory.